Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. I'm Josh Evans. And on today's episode, I tell the story of the world's longest manned nonstop flight, a record which amazingly holds today, despite it being a lot longer ago and a lot longer in endurance than you might ever think possible. Then Josh busts out an absolute sleeper hit of an episode with a type of content we both love, but has still remained almost unheard of on the Content Clearinghouse airwaves. For the second time in a Content Clearinghouse history, Josh is talking about a band. And he shouldn't be because he's a bit too dorky to even know what a music festival is. But despite his absolute lack of coolness, his content expertise has never wavered. This band is by far one of the best genre-defying and genre-defining musical acts in recent history. Plus, Josh shares a shocking revelation about the band that got us on a philosophical discussion. I did not expect to hear this news. He is talking about 21 Pilots. Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Josh. Fancy hey, meeting you how here. Are you doing? I'm pretty good. <laughs> I know. Had a so lo- strange. Had a lovely day in Sydney, Australia. I love this place. Oh man, other side of the world. I am. I'm, hey, up, I'm upside down from your perspective. You last time. I meant to ask you last time we recorded, you know, two weeks ago, aka ten minutes ago. <laughs> uh where you were. Yeah, it always blows my mind when we're trying to organize when we're going to record and you're like it's sunday i'm like well it's saturday where i am <laughs> it's very strange yeah what time is it there for you like 11 p.m yeah 11 p.m yeah what are you what are you sitting at three o'clock Two in the, the afternoon, afternoon or something yeah oh man it's a 17 <laughs> not not to be confused <laughs> with <laughs> the other kind of globe person <laughs> Oh, you want to go down this road again? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I don't have anything new for you. You want to you want to uh, tell me what's going on with you, or you want me to give the show a little bit of a introduction? Uh, you know what, Brett? We did a lot of catch up. If anybody we wants did. to hear about what's going on in our lives, you should listen to the last episode. Perfect. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Why, why don't we talk about what the show is? <laughs> that sounds great to me, Josh. Yeah. So this is basically a content appreciation podcast where every uh, two weeks or so, one of us profiles a piece of content that we really love, whether it's a book, a movie, a podcast, um, some sort of series. We, we love content. And some would say we're experts like Harvard. They gave us degrees in contentology. Don't look it up. It's a real thing. Um, So we try to sell each other and get each other obsessed on the stuff that we're obsessed with. And by extension, of course, you as well. But before we get into content, we also like to start off with a little catch up sometimes and then uh, have a little off topic discussion or what we call an off top. Doesn't necessarily have to be about content. It's just something that we found really interesting. So with that said, Josh... I got a pretty good off top for you. <laughs> well, before you get into the off top, yeah. I want to shout out one of my buddies, Mauricio, who j- said he just started listening to the show. And uh, what's up, Mauricio? And he said he found it through our uh, Instagram and Facebook posts. Wow. So the system is working. <laughs> That's great. 
<laughs> thank you. Everyone that listens to this show, thank you guys so much. Hi, Mauricio. Yeah, I love a good shout out. Well, Josh, name something I like more than obscure world records related to skydiving or aviation besides Japanese reality dating shows. (laughs) UFOs. Oh, yeah, that's true. All right. Well, I'm not talking about UFOs. I'm talking about the former Ah, thing. (laughs) We do have a lot of UFO (laughs) chit chat on this show, don't we? Yeah, we sure do. And we love it. Well, I want to talk to you about a crazy world record that I stumbled upon. This is from 1958, and it still stands today. Do you have any guesses on the world's longest nonstop flight? Now, this might have been beaten by an unmanned vehicle. I don't know, but this is a manned flight. Any idea how long the longest nonstop flight would be? Distance or time? Time. 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 Hmm. Um, I think you would have to be five weeks. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty good. How many days would five? Uh, what's five times seven? Okay, you're still you're still a little short there. <laughs> you're the professional pilot, you tell me. <laughs> so, it's actually 64 days, 22 hours and 19 minutes. Oh, man. Covering 100 and How many weeks is that? That's 2 2 plus months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for Jeez. sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> here's the story. It's a little short and sweet, but man, I found this really interesting. So this was back in 1958. This was a world record that was set for the longest nonstop flight, which, as I said, it stands today. This remarkable feat was achieved by two men, Robert Tim and John Wayne Cook, who flew a Cessna 172 nonstop, 64 days, 22 hours and 19 minutes. They won a total of 150,000 miles. Now, this flight took place mostly over the deserts surrounding Las Vegas, Nevada. The idea for this record-breaking flight came from Robert Tim. So he was a World War II bomber pilot who was working as a slot machine mechanic for the Hacienda Hotel in Las Vegas. Ooh, (laughs) So he... I don't know. It might be. Actually, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say with a name like Hacienda. It could go either way. Like, um, yeah. So, the house hotel. <laughs> I, wait, is that what Hacienda means? Something. I don't know. Okay. You're the professional pilot. You tell uh, why, me. Why, how does that qualify me to know anything about other things? Smarter than me. I, w- I was working on my Spanish. Uh, my friend Jess, who... I mentioned on the show last uh, 10 minutes ago slash two weeks ago who invited me out to Mexico City. Her Spanish is amazing. What an inspiration to be able to have like conversations with people that don't speak a lick of English. I think it's so impressive. I would love to be bilingual. Oh, my gosh. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. so uh, so this is how the uh, this is how Robert Tim got the funding for this he convinced the hotel owner of the hacienda to fund an attempt to break the manned flight endurance record as a publicity stunt where the hotel's name would be prominently displayed on the aircraft 
So Tim and a trusted mechanic spent a year modifying a Cessna 172 for the record attempt. They installed a 95-gallon belly tank to supplement the 47 gallons carried in the wings, and they re-plumbed the oil lines so that they could change the oil and filters without having to shut down the engine. Oh my god. (laughs) Crazy, right? The actual flight began on December 4th, 1958. To ensure they didn't make any secret landings, the aircraft's tires were painted with white stripes. Tim and Cook spent most of their time flying over the deserts around Las Vegas, occasionally diverting to Los Angeles for TV promotional opportunities. So refueling was a complex operation performed twice daily. This is crazy. A truck fitted with a fuel tank and a pump would rendezvous with the aircraft over a straight stretch of closed highway. Flying about 20 feet off the ground, the Cessna would lower a hook to snag the refueling hose. What, oh my God. One of the pilots would then stand on the platform so out, outside the door and insert the hose. Stand on it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they would insert the hose Whoa. into the belly tank, a process that took about three minutes. Over the course of the flight, they refueled 128 times. Despite several technical issues, including the failure of their generator 39 days into the flight, Tim and Cook managed to surpass the previous record and decided to continue flying as long as possible. By the beginning of February, the spark plugs and combustion chambers were loaded with carbon, making it difficult to climb with a full load after refueling. So they finally decided to land February 7th, 1959. After landing, the paint on the tires was checked and no scuff marks were found, confirming that they hadn't made any secret landings. The pilots had to be lifted out of the Cessna due to their physical condition, but they had successfully set a new world record. How crazy is this? How have I never heard about this until like the other day I saw it on Reddit? That is crazy. My first thought is, were they just converting food and water they had carried with them into fecal matter and urine and storing it in the plane. Or, because if matter cannot be dis- created or destroyed, they're just processing it into another form of matter and weight. Or are they just dumping it all out over the desert? Okay, so I don't know about the waste. I do know that uh, food was delivered to them, I think when they refueled in thermos jugs. So they were like getting fresh deliveries of food. I mean, whatever. It can't be that good if it is shoved into a thermos. Pureed pizza. But uh, <laughs> pureed pizza. <laughs> Out of all the things you'd puree, why would it be a pizza? <laughs> that is disgusting. <laughs> Their favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I, that's a good question about the waste. I found one really good article about this, which I'm going to link into the show notes. But um yeah, I would have to look into it further. I imagine they just like put it in a plastic bag and like dump it out on this highway and somebody would come pick it up. I don't know. That's my that's my best guess. <laughs> Shit street highway after two months. Oh my god. Or maybe they have the Homer Simpson recliner chair that he converted into a toilet. They just convert their pilot chairs into toilets. Oh my just gosh. Like Bombay door opens <laughs> at the I love that this is where your where your head goes. Not that, that it's like wild that a record was set where they flew for like almost I mean, incredible days. achievement, but <laughs> gotta 
I got to think about the logistics of this thing. You do. I get it. I get it. This is all the planning that goes into a stunt like this. Yeah. Man, that is crazy. So were there any uh, any strange complications they had throughout the uh, the excursion other than just like mechanical failures? That they Because they're being lifted out. I imagine they're probably like they just – Weak and atrophied. Yeah, at the I'm end pretty. Of the, yeah, I'm pretty sure they were no exercise, just like malnourished. And I mean, I sometimes like after a 14 hour flight, I just I flew here from L.A. and I think our block time from gate to gate was like 14 hours and 50 minutes or something like that. And I, I, you know, I feel a little like stiff after a flight like that, but I could actually stand up and move around. I'm not in a tiny little Cessna, so. I would not want to do this for 65 days. It sounds horrible. That sounds nightmarish. I can't even sit for like four hours. Yeah. My back starts cramping up. Yeah. That sounds terrible. <laughs> it's crazy to think too about like how that is. I don't know. I don't fly planes, but I don't imagine that it's like necessarily an athletic pursuit. But I think something like that would become like an, an endurance athlete style of uh experience yeah at a certain point yeah i Man, it seems more of crazy. a mental challenge and yeah trust me i know a a few pilots that could uh use their body language <laughs> to indicate that it is not exactly a <laughs> a physically demanding profession <laughs> quite the opposite you have to fight pretty hard to, to stay in shape with this lifestyle for sure wow yeah well that's crazy yeah man. i never heard of that either but the reason i guess five weeks is i just heard something or saw a photo or something recently that about people that flew for two and a half weeks straight and it was like a little news item and so i was thinking like oh it probably have to be at least double that to be like an unbroken record mm. but man 65 days. It's incredible. That's wild. That's awesome, Brett. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, what's, uh, that's all I got for the off top. What's on your content circuit, buddy? Um, so I watched Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Have you seen that yet? No, I haven't. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah. Just came out on Prime. Big base jumping stunt. Really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The stunts are really cool. Uh, the so the base jumping scene where he takes the motorcycle off the cliff is some of the craziest footage ever and there's a bunch of really cool footage of him in free fall and tracking and there's like deployment shots of him and there's another stunt later where he does a rollover with a speed wing and then flies a speed wing down the mountain which i saw behind the scenes stuff of him training that i think with the red bull guys so I knew I know Miles doing... Miles was out there um, for the base jumping stunt. Yeah, so, yeah, it doesn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, and the for the speed wing also, I saw that they created a camera harness that was it was like this counterweighted system. It had like two pole arms sticking off either side of him, and each side had cameras, so he could operate cameras and film himself while he's flying the speed wing. A lot like what they did in uh, Top Gun. Like the the actors that were flying in the back of the F-18s became the camera operators as well. So they had some system they created specifically for Mission Impossible for that. Interesting. And then, uh, wow. There's a, 
a cool like train sequence that, it, that all this stuff is in behind the scenes. It's not a spoiler or, or anything. It's all the the major stunt sequences where they built a several miles of train track and they built their own train and then send it off a cliff. Oh wow. So the the stunt spectacular is off the you know, totally off the chain. But I was I've kind of gotten to the point with Mission Impossible with a few of the movies where I kind I kind of find myself not really interested in the plot. I feel like the the plots are cool. They're like you know they're they have cool elements, but I it just all kind of seems the same after a while. The IMF force gets disavowed or whatever, and then they have to go on some rogue mission, and it's all just an excuse to put Tom Cruise in places where he can do awesome stunts. So I'm always just watching it for the stunts, and I feel like the rest of the movie is going. Eh, it could be wrapped in anything, and I'd be interested at this point with these stunts. Yeah, you know. Yeah, totally. I know exactly what you mean. But it kind of got me on a Tom Cruise kick because Tom Cruise does rock, and uh, I watched Collateral last night. Oh, that's a good I've one. Seen that recently? I, I haven't seen oh, it in a man, while. It's so amazing. That's with the uh, is it Jamie Foxx is in that right? Jamie Foxx. Yeah. yeah. So good, man. Where Tom Cruise is the hitman. Oh. And usually Tom Cruise is like always the good guy. Yeah. Which is why that movie is so cool. It's kind of like the Denzel Washington training day effect where you have a person that always plays good guys and they play a bad guy. You're like, oh my God, how are they so good at being a bad guy too? Yeah. And then just like that, uh, that dichotomy between the quintessential good guy actor playing like one of the scariest bad guys in film. I love that. Uh, yeah, Collateral's always had a, it's always had a, a place in my heart. Awesome hitman movies. Good example of that is Chris Evans. It, you know, Captain America. You see him over and over and over for like over a decade as Captain America, and then Knives Out came out, and he's just like such an asshole in that. <laughs> and it's you, oh, I haven't seen that. Uh, is it good? Oh, Knives Out is amazing. That's a great film. Oh my god. Yeah, they came out with a sequel, which I didn't feel like was quite as good, but has like Edward Norton in it is like a lot of the a lot of the same cast. Who's the new uh, James Bond? Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig has like a southern accent, which apparently among content enthusiast circles is controversial. I loved his character and his accent in Knives Out. But yeah, very like definitely content clearinghouse worthy movie for sure. Yeah, the southern, the British person doing the southern accent seems like a, it seems like a, a real easy one to do. That's like the whole Walking Dead cast. Oh yeah, they're all British actors who were relatively unknown in America, and they're all doing southern accents. Yeah, it seems it seems like it's just a, a good way, easy way to hide your natural accent because the southern accent is kind of a caricature unto itself, even when uh, even when it's done in a non-actorly fashion oh bless your so. heart <laughs> oh you sweet little thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, oh and you know we talked a little bit on the last show about content that we uh re-consume and i always wonder if this would be the last time i ever consume this in a <laughs> existential crisis sort of way and we also talked about the last of us part two and uh i've been playing the last of us part two again because I was listening to a podcast, which was a it's a video game retrospective podcast uh, called Normandy FM, where they just take a game and they play through it in chunks, and then they just talk about those chunks. And so, as a you know, someone who's played 
these games a bunch of times, it's interesting to hear somebody's, you know, like a video game journalist hear their take on uh, a game that has you know, so much controversy and there was just there's so many themes in The Last of Us that people have been arguing about for years, and so I started listening to that, and then after two episodes, like God damn it, now I gotta play the whole game again, whole thirty hour game. So I'm uh, doing a little bit of that also. What about you? What do you got new on your content? Uh, well, I, you know, I haven't added a whole lot since we last talked, but I didn't mention this uh, on the last episode. Um, Loki, the second season is out. And uh, man, I was such a fan of the first season. It, it feels like it's not hooking me quite as much as the first season is, but I'm going to stick it out because I'm a huge Marvel fan. I'm a huge Loki fan. Love Tom Hiddleston. Love the idea of the TVA being like, you know, it is a place that exists outside of time. They're pretty sure it's part of the quantum realm and it brings in like he who remains. And but yeah, very, uh, very excited that that's finally out. But man, my content circuit's been a little dry, buddy, but I'm back on the road. I've got a lot of flights, long flights in my future, a little bit of downtime. So I promise that. I'm going to fill out my content circuit. It's usually pretty long. <laughs> it's a bummer to hear that season two isn't hooking you because Loki season one. So when that came out, I felt like I'd, I'd already started to fall off the Marvel train a little bit. Really after Endgame, uh, I really wanted to continue being into the films, but with like the original band breaking up, especially with Iron Man being out of the picture and Captain America, all the all the things that made the MCU so classic. Like I'd started to fall off the bandwagon just a little bit. And Loki was one of the things where I thought like, oh, there may actually still be hope for me to be into this universe. Yeah. But alas, I didn't watch any of the other shows and I haven't really been keeping up with it. So it's kind of a bummer to hear that season two is – not quite the same lightning in a bottle that Loki season one was. Well, hey, there's still time because sometimes things, you know, it's a, it's a slow burn. Loki season two might be a, a grower, not a shower. So, oh, nice, yeah, nice dick reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then when we get back, we're gonna get into some content. All right, Josh. Well, it's that time, the time where you profile some content and shove it right into my ear holes. Oh, man. Lube them up, buddy. <laughs> oh, boy. This is an ear hole centric content piece. <laughs> oh, is it really? Interesting. So, so today I am burying the lead. I'm not going to tell you what that lead is until I get there because I don't want to affect your thoughts in a certain direction until a strategic moment of my choosing. <laughs> This sounds kind of manipulative already. <laughs> and now the obligatory content clearinghouse question moment. What's the type of content that we've only covered once in the history of this show? Well, it's not zombie content. I'll tell you that. No, it's probably most profiled <laughs> outside of UFOs, maybe, which isn't even content. Yeah. Um, okay. So I remember the episode where you talked about the SCPs. I always like, I think about, that is just being like a really interesting genre. Are you talking about a genre or like a 
medium, a content medium. Just a piece of, yeah, just a type of content. It's only been done once. Hmm, I'm not sure. I'll give you another hint. It was done by me. <laughs> well, I feel like the SCP. That's like we don't cover like obscure internet sort of database content. Like I don't even know how you'd classify that. That was a one-off, but yeah. today, Brett, yeah. I'm talking about a band. Oh, okay, yeah, you covered OK Go. That was one of yeah. our best episodes, in my opinion. I love OK Go. Well, hopefully I can follow it up with this one. Uh, but it's not just any band. It's one of the most original groups of musical performers I've ever heard of. And, Brett, I know that you've heard of them because I forced <laughs> you to listen to some of them recently. 21 Pilots. 21 Pilots, that's right. Very interesting, yeah, yeah. yeah. We Wait, we don't usually have you uh, listen to them much. Uh, not really. No, I'm not. You know, I love, love, love music, but I'm definitely more along the lines of like the groovier funk, soul, R and B, jazz inspired, electronic. Like, I've, I've, I have like a very lengthy and. Um, it's taken a lot of work to like curate this playlist of just my favorite like bands and styles and songs. And I've heard it described as like very smooth, very chill and smooth. So like punk rock is not something that is my go to in music, but I love it. I love all music. I love. Well, let's uh, let's say most music. I love most music genres. Well, 21 Pilots is not punk rock. And in some ways, you might say that they're a genre under themselves, which we'll talk about a little bit. Okay, cool. Um, so I will say that I also have a Best Thing Ever playlist of all my favorite songs. And through the course of just one, just getting back into this band, because I've, I've kind of been into them for a while, but just recently got into them for reasons I'll discuss. And... uh through the course of researching this podcast, I've added two full albums of their music to my best thing ever playlist, which is not something I ever do. I, ne wow. I never just go full album. I'm always just like picking individual songs. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing I like. Let me put that in there. So the current band members of 21 Pilots are Tyler Joseph, the vocalist, the piano player, and the quintessential hype man, and the drummer, Josh Dunn. And you may be familiar with some of their singles, uh, like songs like Stressed Out, which is a oh, very yeah. popular radio song. Okay, Stressed Out is great. Uh, Classic. It's so good. Yeah. Ride, Car Radio, and Tear My Heart. Those are all like really good. Uh, they're, they're just classic 21 Pilots songs that even if you're not familiar with them by name you've probably heard them hundreds of times and uh so we'll share all those videos in the show notes if you haven't heard of these guys you should check the show notes and start familiarizing yourself immediately but i i would assume that most people have probably at least heard a lot of their music yeah so that's safe to say the duo they actually started as a full band with Tyler's friend from his uh, youth, Nick Thomas, and a college friend, Chris Sally, and they released a self-titled album in 2009. But like most flights of fancy in youth, this original band didn't stick together with Thomas and Sally leaving in early 2011. But before leaving the band, uh, Chris Sally suggested 
that his guitar center co-worker Josh Dunn might be interested in joining Tyler. And that, my friend, is how history is made. <laughs> this is where the band really kicks off. So Tyler Joseph had been playing piano since he was a kid. And he, he started out just by trying to mimic sounds that he heard on the radio, essentially like self-taught. And Josh Dunn, who was also self-taught, had plans to move to Nashville and pursue a, a career as a, ju- a drummer. But once they brought their skill sets together, uh, piano playing, singing, drumming, along with a grasp on how to leverage technology to create an insane mix of electronic backing tracks with piano and ukulele pop tunes and this machine gun staccato rapping style that Tyler Joseph has and the alt-rock sensibilities and poetic lyrical style that the band possesses. Uh, the band that I've been obsessed with for the last month was truly born. I, I couldn't believe when I was researching these guys that this intricate music was created by two people, but they both contribute to creating these backing tracks using electronic methods like loops on guitar and ukulele and bass. And then when they perform, these tracks are controlled by Josh Dunn, the drummer. He plays them uh, on his laptop while he's playing live drums along with Tyler Joseph playing piano and guitar and bass and singing over the pre-recorded tracks. So when they started out, 21 Pilots spent several months playing around Columbus, Ohio, which is where they're from, developing a hometown fan base through social media. And they found this to be incredibly important to them and later to be instrumental in their worldwide popularity. So their hometown crew basically like helped spread the word that these guys existed. And in November 2011, they played a sold-out show at Columbia's Newport Music Hall. And this caught the attention of several record labels and showed that they may have widespread appeal. This is also the show that quite possibly my favorite live performance of any band came from, which I'll talk about in a bit. But it's the video that I sent to you. Oh, yeah. And uh, that I was insisting that you listen to. Yeah. Super good. Definitely a lot of energy. Wait, can I I just say that it, it seems like only music where you can be really successful being self-taught. Like I wouldn't recommend yeah. somebody to teach themselves skydiving or how to nope. fly an airplane <laughs> or like You'd probably die. Like no one's like a self-taught scuba diver. <laughs> Those are all physical pursuits. That's true. And they're all uh, they're all action death sports or flying a plane which can easily kill you. But like with music, it seems like – I'm not a musician in any way, but it seems like it's the kind of thing that if your mind is wired in that way and you have access to an instrument, you can probably start figuring out things on your own. Like as a musician, is that true? I mean apparently it is. These guys are Ah, super amazing. interesting. I mean what, one of my favorite musical artists is Tosh Sultana, and she is so unique and so good. And it's I, I think so, like the fact – when I found out that she was self-taught – it blew my mind, but like kind of in later reflection, I've kind of thought like maybe that's why her sound is so unique. Like she didn't have to learn somebody else's sound and technique and style and then, you know, and then tweak it or bring her own. Like she just could have like the freedom of exploration to just create new things. And she does a lot of like looping, looping, uh, like drums, looping, vocals like weird sound effects but she's primarily a vocalist and a guitar player but man she's so good and with music being so personal and such an expressive art form if you can figure out the way 
to create these sounds, then if it seems like being self-taught might actually be uh, an advantage. Yeah. Because like with these guys and like what you're talking about, it's like 21 Pilots creates like soundscapes that never you've never heard anywhere else. You know, they have like a they have a, a mixture of several different genres and it comes from I would assume the fact that they weren't sitting in like a, a classical musical setting and being taught like, oh, this is the way it's always been done and th- these are like the seven chords that you can construct all your music from or something, you know. When you're when you're self taught as an artist, then you start creating your own expression on art and that to me that like that comes through so powerfully in their music wow that's awesome yeah and they and so in a lot of these live videos that i've watched of them they wear these skeleton hoodies that zip up over their faces to look like skulls and the skeleton iconography has become iconic as iconography is wont to do (laughs) uh, for them and the band has stated that one reason they did this was because they wanted the performance of uh, to be about the music and not about them. But at this point, like I can't separate the two. I know exactly when I'm looking at these guys perform, regardless of what crazy outfits they're wearing. And it, so it took them several years before they reached commercial success with the re- release of Blurry Face, which is the album that uh, mm. Stressed Out is on. Yeah, and It's a phenomenal album. That features two of the four singers singles I mentioned earlier, Stressed Out and Ride. And like I said, even if you don't know who these guys are, you've probably heard these songs. Yeah, I'm gonna have to I revisit too I think, much more. I think these guys like kind of escaped my like I feel like I get really into specific bands and I do love alternative. Um Alt J is like one of my favorites. Um Man, what's another good band? Do I only like one alternative band? I feel like I had <laughs> like only one. I feel like only I, one good band. I feel like I had a lot of bands in mind <laughs> for uh, good alternative. Oh, like Glass Animals. Like I've listened to a lot of Glass Animals. Um, I don't know if you'd count Godier as alternative, but yeah, for some reason, the, yeah, that's alt rock. The fact the fact that I thought of Twenty One Pilots as punk rock clearly shows I'm not super familiar with this band. But I mean, it makes sense because, like, we'll like we'll see. They're like total genre blenders. Yeah. And there there are some elements of punk rock, but there's also elements of just about every other genre that rocks. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I think like alt rock is probably my favorite sound in music. It's the it's like the kind of sound that if I'm just if it's just playing in the background. There's like a certain alt rock sound that'll always just grab me. I'm like, oh man, I got Shazam this, figure out what this is, because this one song, I don't care about the rest of the their musical catalog, whoever this is. I just want to get this one song and add it to my list. So I won't go too much more into the band's history, but it does bear mentioning that they've earned 145 nominations and 42 awards, including a Grammy for be- Best Pop Duo Performance for Stressed Out, which is one of the best alt rock songs of our generation, in my opinion. And also, the first band in history to have every song on two full albums earn gold or platinum status with their albums Vessel and Blurry Face, which are the two albums that I downloaded researching for this, not realizing that history that both of these albums are full gold and platinum. Wow. And how songs earn gold and platinum is 
I think in the in the record days it was like selling a hundred thousand copies, mm-hmm. but in the digital era, it's a hundred downloads equals one purchase essentially. Oh wow! So you have to, to go gold. You have to go even harder. It's basically a million downloads. Wow! Yeah, it's a million downloads for every song. And I was thinking about how that must have happened for both of these albums, and it probably happened because of exactly like people like me that were like, oh, I like like five songs in this album. I wonder if I'd like the rest of it. Oh, it's only seven bucks in Apple, Apple, you know, iTunes. I'll just buy the rest of the album. And then I listened to it and realized like, oh yeah, I can listen to literally like nine out of the 11 songs on this album straight and love every single one of them. And the other two are pretty good, but it's like, like nine of them, I would just pick and put straight into my best thing ever playlist. Interesting. On both of the albums. It's crazy. Yeah, so I, this is that's how I consume music usually is I want to listen to it album to album. So I like like Masego um, is this way, Mac Miller. Like I love listening to albums straight through. And I think a lot of times artists like very much intend to have it consumed that way, but not always. Like pop artists are not necessarily that way, but the, the kind of bands I listen to, I want to listen to that shit like cover to cover. I wonder if that's like a musician thing too, because it's not the way my brain is wired, but it's really listening to these guys makes me realize I'm probably missing out by not doing that, because their their albums definitely tell a story, but you got to de- you got to dive deep into the lyrics because it is steeped in metaphor, but once you start understanding how Tyler Joseph's lyrical method works, you can really start to piece out like a whole story about his life and his beliefs and his mental health and all this stuff through listening to the whole album. Wow. Interesting. So something unique about them and something that that signified in the name of the band is that they appear to be a group with a strong sense of morality and responsibility for the power that they wield as a worldwide phenomenon, which is something that is extremely rare in the world of entertainment, like responsibility for, your influence doesn't seem like the way most artists act. And the, uh, so the name 21 pilots was inspired by Arthur Miller's 1947 play, all my sons, which is loosely based on actual events, but it's fictionalized for the play. And it follows the story of Joe Keller, who is exonerated for shipping malfunctioning aircraft engine parts during world war II that lead to the death of several people. In the play, Keller refers to himself as the guy who made 21 P-40s crash in Australia. And in the play, Keller is presented with a moral dilemma, keeping these faulty parts and lose the profit in a financially tough situation, which would send his, his business into ruin. And the other option was to send the parts out and make the money needed to support his family. And Keller chooses the latter, which leads to the death of 21 pilots. Huh. So Keller's business partner is convicted for the crime and sent to prison while Keller is found not guilty. And then Keller later kills himself out of guilt. Oh my God. And the band stated, I feel like we're all constantly encountering moral crossroads where the decisions that benefit the now will have consequences down the road, but the decisions that might seem tough and toiling right away will ultimately be more rewarding. And then they said, what is our purpose for playing music? We are constantly asking ourselves that question. The answer can change all the time. Right now, I'm just going to stick with something simple as we want to make people think. We've always been intentional with every aspect of the of the band, especially the band name. And 
Tyler Joseph said the band name holds he and drummer Josh Dunn accountable to follow their conscience. It's pretty interesting, right, for a for a band that's known the world over to not just be like super interesting partying rock star assholes. Love yeah. that, yeah, super love that. Always love hearing some behind the scenes stuff, man. There's always so much like thought and intentionality. Like I'm pretty sure that if I had a band, I'd be like. Um, Chris Pratt's character in Parks and Rec, where it'd just be like <laughs> Rat Punk or what, like just goofy names or like a, you know, things yeah, that totally. things that sound like a band name generator website. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like these guys seem like there's just nothing that they do that doesn't have intention behind it. Yeah. So I, I was introduced to this band several years ago by our good buddy, our best friend, my old competition teammate and official crewball member, Mike Silva. Ooh, my he showed dear. me the video for Yeah. He showed me the video for Stressed Out. And then we watched Car Radio and Tear My Heart, and those three songs became a permanent part of my best thing ever playlist. And recently I was looking for cool alt rock uh, tracks that are kid friendly because I wanted to instill a good sense of music appreciation in my kids when they're young. I started playing some 21 Pilots for Island Violet because I know that they don't ever swear in their music and that it, that is a little important when your kids are seven and three. And Violet took an instant liking to them. Like For weeks, she'd be like, Dada, play more Pilot songs. So we started watching a bunch of their videos and her favorite is Tear My Heart because there's a line that says, my taste in music is your face. And she always puts her hand out in front of my face. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> she loves that line. I love that. Yeah. So watching their videos and making their music the soundtrack to our lives for a few days led me to the song that really kicked off my reobsession. Now, this is the song that I sent to you. It's called Ode to Sleep. How would you explain that song, Brett? Well, there's a lot of time changes, which is like really interesting. Like it does feel like not just genre blending, but it actually feels like four distinct genres or I, I don't remember exactly like three or four like very distinct genres in one song like it changes mm -hmm. like drastically like rhythmically like it's like rap and it's rock and um but man the thing that really stuck out to me is they know how to hype up a crowd like i want to see these guys live totally. like everybody was stoked like that had such a good vibe to it have you have you ever seen them live no, but I want to now, man. I, I'd never even watched any of their live performances before this one. And we were just watching all their videos. And Ode to Sleep, for some reason, it was like the last one we watched. And th this is not the video that I sent to you. That is their live performance at Newport, okay. yeah, Newport yeah, yeah. Hall, which is – that is a performance. that That's from the one I mentioned earlier that was their first sold-out show they ever played. And – you can tell that like they're in total awe that that many people are there, but also Tyler Joseph, he like, he just like totally dominates and controls the crowd. They do. I watched a bunch of other videos. They do everything he wants them to do. Like he'll get up on top of the amps and he's like, do this with your arms. They all, everybody does it. Like everybody, there's one point where he tells them to make, basically make like a, a line down the middle and the whole audience parts and he goes out into the crowd and he's dancing around and singing in the middle of the crowd and then comes back on stage and the whole crowd closes back up again. Wow. But the official video for this, this song, it, it's so amazing. 
One, the song is so good. It's such an insanely complex and intense song. And the video tells a story of the meteoric growth of their popularity. So the, the video is broken up into three sections. So the first part was re recorded in 2011. And there's a narrator that speaks over the video when there's like just musical parts, when they're not singing, the music dies down. And this narrator's kind of telling the story that in 2011, they were going to play their first show outside of their hometown. Mm -hmm. And there were only 12 people there. And the, the camp, they had a camera crew with them and they were like, I don't know if we should record this. This seems like a pretty lame crowd. And Tyler Joseph was like, now, I think this would be a great way to start our video. Trust me, this is going to work out. So they record them playing Ode to Sleep to 12 people. And then the next section, a they recorded a year later, they're playing to a crowd of 300. And then the final section was recorded in 2014, where they're playing to a sold-out crowd of 12,000 people wow. over the course of two nights. So th over the course of the video, you see them playing to basically no one, and then playing to like 300 people, which is like, oh, wow, we're doing a great job. And then selling it's selling out like some some uh, Lollapalooza or some yeah. you know, musical convention. And we call those it's, we call it's, those festivals. <laughs> that's what it is. I'm not a music man. A music convention. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a musically exactly. inspired conference. <laughs> Let me just push my glasses up. I gotta go to the music convention. <laughs> <laughs> Lollapalooza, the music convention. Oh my god! You know, I'm pretty sure I saw that on a poster uh, some, somewhere. The Coachella conference. So, I've been a I've been attending the Coachella, Coachella conference for Con years. Mm, yes, uh, I have to sit in on the 21 Pilots panel tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> now I kind of want like a tongue in cheek music festival. That's like you get like like name tags, but. I don't know. It's much more like corporate style. You have like concerts in like a board Quiet room. in the audience for trying to sing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. All right. Finally derailed the Josh. It's always the other way around. You're always derailing <laughs> you me. It. it was time for yeah. me to derail you. <laughs> That's what I want you always to try to do, Brett. So this song, Ode to Sleep, has been referred to as 21 Pilots Bohemian Rhapsody. And I'd say, yeah, absolutely. A song that totally defies genre. It's an epic tale that you can't help but want to know all the words to. And they totally deserve the meteoric rise described in the Ode to Sleep video. And I attribute at least a small part of this to their crowd engagement, like you mentioned. It's the first thing that you notice watching that video, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So I've been watching a ton of their live performances, and that's also not something I ever really do. But after watching Ode to Sleep live in Newport, I've been obsessed with watching them live. And that video is from their their first huge sold-out performance with the current lineup of Tyler and Josh. And this performance has all the energy and power that only young kids with landslide of talent and the world at their fingertips can really bring. And I've watched that video like 500 times. Wow. There's, all, there's another good example of their crowd engagement. Uh, it's a video to ride live at the Fox Theater. And in this video, they bring a drum set out on a on like a big board that can be crowd surfed, and Josh Dunn gets on it while the crowd is holding it up and drums like the last thirty seconds of the song while he's crowd surfing on this drum platform. It's so amazing! Wow! And then another, it's crazy, man. And it, it it's because like the audience just there's it seems like there's a trust between the audience and them of just like whatever we want to do, it's gonna work out perfectly. 
And in another performance towards the end, Josh Dunn climbs up on the piano with his back to the audience. He's kind of apprehensive and he throws a perfect backflip off the piano on the stage. (laughs) That's amazing. From doing a bunch of backflips at one era in my life, I know this exact sensation that appears to be running through his mind. There's like a fear and excitement that I always got before I did a backflip. It's like, there's like a 90% likelihood in your mind that you'll, that you'll nail the backflip, but it's not a certainty. And then you do it and there's like this elation from nailing. You're like, ah, fuck yeah, I still do a backflip. And apparently that was something that I read a, uh, it was like a Reddit post. People talking about his backflips. Apparently he learned it during a sound check and then, has done it in every show since. I don't know if that's true, but it was just some f- super fan on Reddit said that. Interesting. Wow. S- All right. So awesome to see a band commit so hard to entertaining and hyping up a crowd. All right. I got to tell you a quick story. Uh, this was with Mike. Mikey, we went to um, there's like a group of us that went to one of those music conferences that you're so fond of. Um, I think it was the Mile High. Oh, my glasses are slipping off. (laughs) It's even better because (laughs) you you like don't wear glasses like I've never seen you in glasses ever. Um, (laughs) This is just how people with glasses talks. Um, exactly. <laughs> you know they're taped together in the middle. So I'm pretty sure this was a Mile High Music Festival. This is probably back in like 2010, like maybe 2011, 2009. I'm not sure, but it was uh, Phoenix. Do you remember Phoenix, Listomania, 1901? Oh yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we were like super into this band during our era where we were just like listening to a tons of tons of alternative music. But man, I have never seen a rock show like that. Like that dude got up on those rafters. He was like climbing on the structure of the building and like spinning his microphone around by the cord. Just like 100% faith that that thing's not just going to fly off the end of it. Because I think microphones, I mean, I think they like click into place. And this dude's just treating everything like it's a toy. It was awesome. I Yeah. That's sick, dude. But no backflips. So clearly 21 Pilots is the more talented gymnast of the... Of the bands that I've seen live. And that's the most important thing as a musician is uh, your gymnastic ability. <laughs> I haven't been to enough music conferences lately. Man, I think we need to do we need to go to one, Brett. Man, I I like have gone to a lot of music festivals. It's always like some of the best times of my life, the best highlights. And it's funny because I I don't know if this is true of you, but anytime I've invited our other mutual friend Derek. He's always like, what makes you think that I would have fun at that thing? It's too loud. Too many people. <laughs> like, I'm an introvert. That's, oh, no. He, he literally has told I me, know. he's like, that's like torture. And I, I just kind of know that you and him share some introversion type qualities. So I wasn't sure if you'd even like enjoy a music festival. Well, I think uh, I'm more of like an omnivert. I think I... Uh, if I didn't have any reason to not be introverted, I would just stay introverted because I really like uh, – I just like being alone and reading books and stuff. But also, <laughs> if I have a reason – I think it was kind of – it was skydiving and specifically the wind tunnel that taught me that I had this in me as well. Was If I have a reason and if it's something that I'm interested in or like with tunnel flying and skydiving, something that I consider myself to be an expert in, then – in those scenarios, I feel like 
I can turn on a bit of extroversion and get the job done. But I also like going to things, you know, I like, I, I grew up going to like warp tour and stuff, you know, those punk rock conventions. Guar? That, uh, you saw a Guar concert, right? I, I did see Guar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been to a lot of concerts, okay, but okay. Uh, I do think I have a, a, a little bit of a mix in me, but it's probably like a 70, 30 introvert to extrovert. Okay. Mix. Okay. Interesting. Guar. That, that looks wild. Oh, dude, that was so crazy. Were you covered in like um, pig's blood or something by the end of it? Yeah, they, they, uh, in the beginning, they would like bring out these big life size dolls that look like people and they'd slaughter them and they're all full of like pressurized blood. But then by the end, they just dispense with any, uh, any and all reason or meaning for why they're spraying you. <laughs> and they just bring out these two cannons. One of them, it's like a blood cannon and a piss cannon. And they're, they're spraying the audience. I mean, they must have ruined that venue because at the end there were like four inches of standing water on the on the floor. It's crazy. I can't believe anyone would ever let them play, but I appreciate it because it was amazing. Oh my god! I'm not really even like a heavy metal guy, but it was one of the coolest shows I've ever been to. That is wild. Wow, it's crazy. All right, so Twenty One Pilots. Yeah. So Tyler <laughs> Joseph seems to have tapped into some primal human hype stream. Like he's the ultimate crowd energizing encouragement. Watching their live performances, I almost can't help but bouncing along with his commands to the crowd. Like in Ode to Sleep, where he screams, let's go. It's like in the middle of the song. And it, it just like instantly makes you think like, yeah, let's fucking go. Like, where are we going? I don't even care. I'm going wherever it is. It's just like one of the most hype-inducing things I've ever heard. I can't remember another band that ever sounded just as good or maybe even better live than on a studio album. Like objectively better. I can't imagine how hard that must be as a musician. Is that, I mean, do you know any bands that sound better live? I mean, so like it's a really important like litmus test. I feel like to be like, I feel like I with the bands that I do invest a lot of time into and I become intimately familiar with them. I do feel like I know which ones are going to be good live already. But I have been disproven. I, I have gone to um, a music festival. Actually, this might have been Coachella. I don't remember which band specifically, but I had listened to a lot of their studio stuff. It actually might have been Alt J, actually, who I just love and you know listen to a lot of. And I maybe their levels were off, or they were having technical difficulties, or what. But man, it, it just was not a great live performance, and I was like deeply disappointed and then sometimes the opposite happens where you're like um i saw david byrne who's the singer of the talking heads and he had like some weird oh yeah project i saw him at coachella as well where he had this like big group of percussionists and keyboardists and he's crazy everybody man. was mobile he came out out of the the background holding like a fake brain they were all in suits it was like a very bizarre um performance but man it totally gripped me i was super into it and i like thought i'd get really into talking heads and i just like i don't know like it just never like hooked me and it was so much better live but yeah like uh, some of my favorite bands masego right now is an incredible artist and multi-instrumentalist and he's incredible live and brass tracks i saw them live before i started listening to him a lot but um yeah i can't like 
I'm not going to love a band if I see them live and they're not awesome. It's going to be really hard for me to continue that same like listening with a passionate fervor, you know? Because it just seems so processed when you're listening to, like studio album. And you're like, oh, they can't really do this in real life. Yeah, no, it's it's and like that's fine, but you know, you want it, you want like a versatile musician. It's kind of like a skydiver that like can only you know that was doing like demo skydives, but like conditions had to be perfect, or it had to be mm-hmm. like pre-recorded. Like, no, you want somebody that's awesome, <laughs> like in, pre-recorded skydive. A pre-recorded skydive. <laughs> you want somebody that could be thrown into something. And just yeah, improviser. That was a horrible metaphor, but you know what I mean. <laughs> nah, it worked. <laughs> I'm sure that it's going to land with our audience. Yeah. So some people have called Twenty One Pilots a genre unto itself, and I'd agree. But one genre I'd firmly plant them in is the one that I find the most intriguing: Triumphant Tragedy. Oh yeah. Like, Twenty One Pilots is ultimate Triumphant Tragedy, and you can't have Triumphant Tragedy without without some tragedy. It's half the equation, technically. It is. Yeah. It's half the name. So Tyler Joseph has never expressly said that he suffers from depression, but many of his songs hint at this. So there's a quote from uh, 2020. He said, your own own mental health should always be a priority. I'm amazed at how easy it is to forget that simple fact. It's something that can't, that can sneak up on you. Then eventually you check in on it, realize that it's in really bad shape. I'm trying to cut through who really needs to hear this. This is tough. But it's not hopeless. Fighting for your mental health is not public. It's not glorious. It's not even interesting. But it's the greatest challenge you will face. Wow. So many of their songs are about the struggle of being a human in this world and the complexity of what it's like to have a mind and body and a soul. And he created the character of Blurry Face, who he references on several albums, most famously on Stressed Out, where he says, my name's Blurry Face and I care what you think. So this character, Blurry Face makes him hurt other people. It brings depression, anxieties, and makes him not enjoy his life. And through the personification, he's he can better understand his dark side and how to deal with it. And during this era, this blurry face era, he would paint his hands and neck with black ink to signify the character of blurry face. You can see it in a lot of his videos. And he said that was because his hands and throat are where his talent originated from. And this darkness represents his insecurity uh, insecurities with his own musical abilities. It's like a classic imposter syndrome. Dude, this is this is very interesting. This is like this goes beyond an artist as like a musician. This is like performance art or something, but really fascinating. Yeah, he's you can tell that he he thinks deeply about every single thing. Interesting. There's also this this deep voice that's in several of the songs. Uh like in the, at the end of Stressed Out, it's in this like deep, it's like a electronically modified version of his voice. And it, this, he said, this is blurry face singing. It's always something dark or materialistic or like a, a vain reference. Hmm. And Tyler Joseph uses references to night and darkness consistently to signify his discomfort with the world. And his lyrics reference the darkness as a time when intrusive and dangerous thoughts creep into his mind. He's also constantly referencing the sun as a comfort zone and the sunlight gives him peace of mind and makes him feel safe. Like in Ode to Sleep, he says, I'll stay awake because the dark's not taking prisoners tonight. And then he says, why am I not scared in the morning? I don't hear those voices calling. He's like talking about, he hears like, like demons telling him to do terrible things. Wow. 
it's like it's through all of his songs. If you ever hear if you ever hear, hear him say like dark or night, it's always something along this line. And then anytime he references the sun or light, it's always about like that's like where his comfort zone is and how he how he helps dispel these thoughts from his mind. Like I, I spent just a few days just listening to Ode to Sleep trying to decipher his endless cryptic metaphors. One, that song is so fire that I felt like I was on drugs. And two, what I learned, it really surprised me, Brett. So this is, here's the lead that I buried earlier. Okay. You ready? Yeah. 21 Pilots is a Christian band. (laughs) It's very strange, dude. Is it really, though? I don't know how it really is. Interesting. So I sh- or I should say it's a band compi- co- comprised of Christians, but not necessarily qualified as a Christian band in the mainstream. Although it does seem like that's the way that they would describe themselves. So both Tyler and Josh are devout Christians, and their lyrics are littered with cryptic Christianity references. Like it's almost, it's almost subliminal, the way that they sing about Christian ideals, and. If when I first learned this, I don't know how that affects you, but for when I first learned this, I I almost wanted to hold it against them, but I just can't because they're so sincere and they're not preaching at all. Like he's just singing from his soul about his strongly held beliefs, and he's not insisting that his audience holds the same beliefs at all. They're just part of the background of some incredible hip hop alt electronica, and. It's more like he thinks his audience should have a set of strongly held principles to guide their lives, whatever those principles may be. You wouldn't really even know that he's singing about Christian ideals unless you pick apart and set and study the intricately crafted lyrics. And by the time you're doing that, let's face it, you're already a fan. It's like quite literally the opposite of evangelizing. Interesting. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely don't mind when you know, somebody has uh, personal like political beliefs or religious beliefs. And then that's going to naturally come through their art. But I do. I, I so I don't know if this classifies as Christian music, though, because if you like listen to their music and it all seems sort of like metaphorical and like things that they're dealing with in their life, that doesn't necessarily constitute as a Christian band. Like when I turn on the radio well, you, and I'm tuning through different FM stations and I hear somebody singing about Jesus, that's a Christian band. Well, see, that's the thing. He never sings about Jesus. He never says he never says anything explicit. But there's this quote from him. He says, you can tell that he also struggles with it, mm-hmm. it seems. This is a quote from 2014. He said, I still believe in God. I still want to call myself a Christian because I am a Christian. I don't know how to talk to people about it yet, and if I can't talk to other people about it yet, and I don't know exactly why I should talk to other people about it, does it actually mean anything to me? If I don't truly have the answer, shouldn't I just be talking about that? But I have to get there first. Interesting. Like, this struggle is there in their lyrics. He's, he's constantly referencing these ideals, but also alluding to the fact that he may not want it to be readily apparent because he's afraid the mainstream wouldn't like it. Yeah. But I got on Genius uh, – have you ever used genius for lyrics? Uh, is this kind of like song meanings or something? Do they, well, people have like theories about song, like the meanings behind songs. 
it's not theories okay. though. It's like exhaustively researched. Is it really? It's like okay. you can click on any law, any line of the song and you get like a Wikipedia entry about it. Okay. Yeah. And the, I just, I have looked at more and more of their lyrics and they're, they're basically all, they're all about Christianity. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And, uh, <clears throat> like he's, there's the struggle in his lyrics. Like he's constantly referencing the ideals, but alluding to the fact that he, you know, he doesn't want people to know about it. And the most straightforward references I found that aren't cloaked in metaphor are the words faith, soul, and prayer, which he uses a lot. All these things that all, all these words also have secular meanings. So it adds the way his lyrics can be interpreted in numerous ways to the listener. Now with the combination of Christianity and depression that is, present in both the band songs and frontman Tyler Joseph, I have to wonder like how those things are connected. Interesting. I don't know what your religious upbringing was like, but I know for years after dropping Christianity, I struggle with depression. And I know in my case, it was a combination of chemical imbalances, which don't help when you're young and also an ingrained religious guilt. Like the way that I was raised submitted so much guilt about my thoughts and actions that I had such a hard time getting past it for years after. And like that guilt, along with the organized structure and the tax sheltering nature of organized religion are the things that I found the most damaging about religion. It's not the beliefs per se, but it's like the power over others to affect their minds and wallets. That was truly frightening to me. Dude, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And this is why, so this kind of happened with a, a song that I really like. Thankfully it wasn't like, I didn't love the band. I didn't like listen to all their music, but uh, it's this one song I think I got from Mike and Alyssa called Sticks and Stones. It's on the album Genesis by Cass. And I was like, holy shit, this song is a real banger. Listen to it all the time. I eventually started to branch out. I wanted to hear more of their music, more of their albums and songs. And I found out it's straight up a a Christian band. And it's like great electronic music, like rock, but... Um, yeah, Cass, like the album Genesis is all about, it's like a Christian Genesis theme. And like a lot of their music is straight up like, and it it just felt very jarring to me because I I do have a belief of a higher power. I do have like a spiritual practice and a spiritual belief system. But one of the things that I'll say over and over again about organized religion, like there is a human being that says he is required to act as a conduit between you and your higher power, there's something wrong. Like that is now a human bureaucracy, a human institution. Like that's somebody trying, you know, and it's usually a male, like it's, it's a patriarchy for a reason, right? Like usually these, they say, Oh yeah, women can't be the ones that talk to God. It's going to be popes or priests or, or reverends or pastors. And, so it's usually like a very old school structure that I uh, like hope to slowly have a little part in just dismantling by the way that I live my life. But hey, to each their own. I mean, that's what ultimately it's one of the reasons why this doesn't bother me with these guys, because like one of the reasons, one of the big problems I have with organized religion is everything you just said, but also the evangelizing and like the guilt of trying to convince other people that they're wrong because they don't feel the same way as you. 
and none of that is present. Like everything that's, you can tell that Tyler Joseph believes everything that he's saying. And it's like a, a very important part of his life, but he really is never trying to push it on you through his lyrics because you have to go, you have to go through like a process to even figure that's that, wow, That's what he's talking about. Interesting. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not a Christian. Obviously I was raised Mormon for anyone who doesn't know that and for quite a <laughs> while. I thought I was agnostic, like no particular belief, definitely no traditional religious beliefs at all. I didn't think I believed in God, especially didn't believe in organized religion. And I kind of considered it a weakness in most people that held those beliefs. And, uh, now, like I've grown as a person and one of the things that I find the most fascinating and has seemed the most convincing to me is not something I've really ever heard anyone discuss. And it's the idea of a non-interventionist creationism. So it's with religion. It's always, there's a creator and he intervenes in our life, which there's no evidence for, or a true flip side where there is nothing but a cold and different universe that's based off of random chance. And no one ever discusses the idea that the universe could have been created and then just let run like some grand experiment. You know, like exactly what we would do in an experimental setting where intervening would compromise the results. And to me, that seems like it's a very fascinating idea and it seems very plausible that the universe could have been created because there's no evidence for anything before the Big Bang. So it could have just been snapped into existence the way that we would turn on a computer simulating uh, uh, a simulated world of some sort. But it could have been created with a set of physical principles that we consider to be, you know, scientific fact. And through those principles just acting upon themselves, either life may have arisen or maybe it didn't and in our case it did and maybe by you know a god stepping in and stopping a, a war from happening or saving your mom from a car wreck or something would completely compromise the entire point of this thing which is to see what happens and how long it takes for it to happen if life arises and i think that's a, a really fascinating idea that incorporates some religious beliefs but also you know it kind of it's, I think it speaks more to me as like a modern human that doesn't need a necessarily a religious controlling device in my life. Dude, I, I a hundred percent hear you. Yeah. And I, I, um, yeah, I, I would have considered myself, I didn't grow up, uh, extremely religious, but we went to church, but I, at one point was like agnostic, but more on the atheistic side until, a long, long time ago, for the first time, I ate these uh, very special little mushroom uh, <laughs> type pizza toppings. Yeah, pizza toppings. Yeah, and um, boy, it that was kind of the seeds were planted for an idea that we are like kind of the like it brought humility into my life, and it made me have the sort of beginning senses that there is something larger than ourselves, like some sort of intelligent um, collective consciousness that maybe you could use the term God. I don't know. It definitely planted the seeds and kind of led to like the long road of having my own personal spiritual practice. That's very 
individualized and personal to myself that I'd definitely never try to um, push on other people or uh, make money from or get tax exempt status from as much as I would love to not pay taxes anymore. <laughs> but Or try to attract a bunch of women that will just bang you because you're the religious leader. Another awful religious practice. Wait, you can do that? Yeah, you ever heard of cults? Uh, maybe I am religious. No, I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually just like, watching a special, like how to become a cult on Netflix that was talking about Charles Manson. Woo. That guy really rough man. He he was pretty rough around the edges, but he knew to have he knew how to put together a harem. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> when you were saying that, those are the exact words that were running through my mind. He really knew how to put together a harem. Was it really? <laughs> Yes. Wow. I feel like you were reading my brain. So God has smiled most on us. Things, he really has. <laughs> most most Christian things are terminally dorky. Like the dorkiest. <laughs> 21 Pilots is on the other end of the terminality scale. They're terminally cool. They're undeniably awesome. <laughs> it's a true contradiction of everything I thought I knew and believed about what religious content could be. Like the religious aspects are so cloaked in metaphor that they could literally be talking about anything else. You just have the option to interpret it in a religious manner if that floats your boat, which it doesn't in my case, but it doesn't bother me in the least. It's such a testament to the incredible songwriting ability of Tyler and Josh. Like they're driving beats and like you said, changing time signatures and genre blending. It literally holds universal appeal. It's like what everybody always says about the weather, wherever they're from. If you don't like it, wait five minutes. In 21 Pilots' case, just wait 30 seconds. They're bound to switch it up. Like, if you don't like hip-hop, here's one of the best alt-rock choruses you ever heard. If you don't like alt-rock, here's an electronica beat that will melt your brain. If you don't like electronica, <laughs> here's some original 21 Pilots sound. It can't even be classified because they invented it, but it's bound to appeal to the lizard part of your brain that makes you want to jump and move and the part of your soul that makes you feel deeply about something. Like it's, it could be anything. It just makes you want to feel. And speaking of souls, Tyler Joseph references his soul constantly. And that got me thinking about another belief that I have that is just kind of developed in my mind. It's quasi religious, but it's the concept of the oversoul, which I think I've told you about numerous times in our over the course of our friendship, correct? Oh yeah, but we're we're talking some old callbacks to the Kruba days for sure. Yeah. So this was a this was a concept that I came up with. Um, actually, part of the impetus was from being on a skydiving team with our best friend and original Crewball member Mike Silva, because when we were training to compete there were definitely times where I felt like I shared a hive mind with Mike and uh, it was not really something that I felt with many other people ever in my life. And it was, that was also part of the impetus for us naming the team collective. Cause we were thinking like, you know, like, like an AI collective or some sort of collective of similarly thinking uh, automatons. But our original idea for the name was hive mind. And, that that concept of like oh like having a hive mind with another, another human being it felt to me like i was peering past the veil into like a former life where i'd lived as like an ant or a bee or something 
And this kind of sparked the idea of this oversoul concept in my mind. So in like in Christianity, you're taught that you do have a soul and the reason you can't remember things from before your physical existence is because there's this veil that's pulled over your eyes. So your physical existence isn't compromised by the things that you knew before you were born. And, you know, the whole like scientific concept that like matter is not destroyed or created, uh, kind of like we talked about in your, uh, the, the pilots flying the poop machine. <laughs> so I, I had this idea, like you do have a soul and it's, it's not destroyed when you die, but when you die, you have the option of reincarnating on any myriad of worlds throughout the universe as any number of creatures, all with the express intent of it's, it's about gathering uh, information and experience that when the universe burns out, the heat death of the universe finally occurs and all physical matter is ultimately destroyed. We all go back to being what we truly are, which is this oversoul creature and our value as that creature, this non-physical being is based on the experience that we've gathered. So the more experiences we've had, the more times we've, we've reincarnated and the more diverse that is, the more value that I feel like we're going to hold in whatever comes next. And I, I feel like that's a, not a concept that's really explored in Christianity because I feel like the soul concept in Christianity is much more limited than that. But it's something that in me was kind of inspired by what I learned about souls when I was being raised as a Christian. And then also just by having mind expanding and altering experiences as I grew up. And it just, it's just something that seems very true to me. Yeah, no, I love that, man. I think it's such a like great concept. It sounds like a, awesome graphic novel potentially or like comic comic book but um and it's not that dissimilar to like my own weird boutique esoteric belief systems about the afterlife and reincarnation and and i definitely feel like less of a separation in my sort of idea of what is beyond like i kind of think we come from some source and we go to some source but i do think that there's some alignment with like there's something here where we're supposed to like learn or gain experience or be curious but yeah it's it's certainly a lot better than like you have to do these things and or you know you have to accept this character from history as your personal savior and then you'll have an eternal life of wondrous happiness or you know you commit these sins that we've decided we've determined the rules of this and you'll go to uh you know a different place and you'll burn and like i i just don't subscribe to those sort of things but yeah the idea of there not really being like a sort of end like we think there is is is, is a a belief that i share as well for sure 21 pilots yeah, is getting really awesome. 21 pilots is getting us on some deep shit, buddy. It is. <laughs> that's great content, man. Yeah, that's true. So this band struggle between wanting to espouse their religious ideas and knowing how that might affect their standing with the fans seems to be a struggle within themselves, but it really does speak to the genuine nature of their passion 
butting up, up against the reality of being a worldwide musical phenomenon. Like for years, I've been on a podcast kick, almost not listening to music at all. Like I've just been so obsessed with hearing people speaking about interesting subject matters that I haven't really had as much time for music. But 21 Pilots changed that. Like I've been choosing to listen to them trying to learn their lyrics and trying to decipher the intricate song arrangements in a way that I almost never do with bands. But like I said, I downloaded two full albums and listened to them straight through, which is, again, something I never do. Like I'm so much more of a singles guy. But with these guys, I think it is essential to understanding them to hear the way the songs lead into each other. It's essential to understanding Tyler Joseph's journey and his struggle with both mental health and his deeply held beliefs. And... Like Tyler Joseph, I found a bit of struggle between something that I truly love, their music, and my own beliefs. Like my opposition to organized religion, but understanding that someone else's religious beliefs are not a reason to not value what they're doing. Like especially when that thing is objectively some of the most hype-inducing and genuine music to come out of our generation. And this is the reason I didn't bring up religion early on. One, Brett... Ever heard a dramatic effect? <laughs> and two, if you're at all like me, I didn't want you to develop any preconceived notions. Like I know if I knew this about them from the very start, my own closed-minded nature about religion would have prevented me from falling in love with one of the greatest musical acts to grace our generation. And that would have been criminal. So for me, someone who is staunchly anti-organized religion, to be touting the virtues and values of a Christian rock band should qualify as the highest praise possible, even better than 145 nominations, 42 wins, including a Grammy for Best Pop Duo Performance and the first band in history to ever have every song on two albums go gold or platinum. They should honestly just put me in charge of taste making. I am a contentologist <laughs> after all, which is a real thing. Totally real. So if you don't know, if you don't know, then now you know. Check out 21 Pilots. If you already love these guys, maybe you learned something new today, but definitely just go listen to 21 Pilots. Uh, uh, blurry face. Da, 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 da. Care what you think. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, love Jam, it. Jam, bro. That's such a good song for sure. I was like, man, I don't know much about 21 Pilots, but I have listened to that song a lot. That's awesome. I'm gonna... Well, now you know everything about them. <laughs> <laughs> things that i did not expect that's for sure they they do not strike me as a uh group of christian dudes playing some good christian music not at all it yeah. was very that was surprising to me wow very interesting and it was like Josh. A, it, it like blew my mind so much that like i almost didn't even know what to do with it but i realized like ultimately it made it better for me yeah just like the roads it led me down very cool. Well, I have to say, that's probably one of my favorite episodes. I know I say this a lot. I've been accused of hyperbole before, but this definitely you? is one of my uh, <laughs> favorite episodes of the Content Clearinghouse for sure, because I got to listen to all of 21 Pilots' music. I got to see their music videos. I want to see them live. So, yeah, your, uh, your excellent content piece just definitely did a number on you. And I love your point that you should always just approach things with an open mind because those preconceived notions about things that aren't even related to the art that they're creating or maybe they are, but just tangentially, it's no reason to to just walk away from something that could be one of your favorite things over something so arbitrary. So love that reminder. 
Um, so thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Also, to our listeners, thank you for tuning into the show. Thanks for giving us a download and a like and subscribing to the Content Clearinghouse. Um, you can email us. We got an email. You can Instagram us. Uh, it's uh, at the Content Clearinghouse or contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. We're going to bring some more content your way, and it's going to be great because we're contentologists, and that's what we do. Thanks for listening to the show. Bye.